The Offsite Podcast is presented by Offsite Consulting, offering financial consulting programs for small business owners and nonprofit leaders. Find Offsite on the web at auphsite.com. Every company says they want to do good, but what does social impact really mean? A generation ago, if you said you wanted to impact your community, you'd have launched a nonprofit or even your own church. And today we see an unprecedented number of businesses at all market levels trying to weld social impact into their mission statements. My name is Joe Taylor Jr. I'm here with Darnell Suleiman. Hey, Joe. Hello. This is episode eight of the Offsite Podcast. And today we're talking about social entrepreneurship. Now, last week, we talked a little bit about talent. And one of the reasons that there's uh, challenges around finding talent, folks want to feel like they're doing good. I think that lately, it's not enough to just uh, go look for a job. You want to work somewhere that you can feel proud of, right? That's what people say. Yeah. Now, we know there's a gap between what people say and what they do. And so- And what your parents want you to do. Exactly. (laughs) And- And so this is where one of the things that big companies have traditionally done is starting to break down. You know, Mm. so big companies, when they say they want to do good and have a social impact, uh, they'll have big community service initiatives. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. Um, most of the Fortune 500 companies have some version of this where there's one day a year where everybody gets some time to volunteer Mm -hmm. or there's some initiative where you're encouraged to put X number of hours a year into community service. Mm -hmm. Now, according to a survey by the Committee Encouraging Corporate Philanthropy, only three in 10 employees at companies where they had programs like these volunteered just one hour of their time. Or more. Three in 10. So seven out of 10 of the employees couldn't find, even in even in jobs where the company said, like, go do this. I will pay you for the day for you to go do this. We still had seven in 10 that did not participate. So wow. why do we struggle so much to figure out how our companies can make a social impact in our communities. Um, I wonder if part of this is because we frame up community service as these kinds of, you know, projects that nobody wants to do, or they're like the same things that we make like prisoners do. So, you you know, when you think community service, some Hollywood star that's on their eighth DUI, you know, has to go clean up the park. Yeah. And then we say, oh, hey, accounting team, you get to go clean up the park with the people that are on their eighth DUI, you know? Interesting. Wow. You know, that phrase doesn't help. It doesn't help. There's there's something there where it feels like we have to reframe it in some way. You know, as a as a business owner, my brain said, what's in it for me? Yeah. And that's and that's an honest uh, uh, first push for the companies. Well, here's what mm-hmm. I've observed lately with a lot of the small businesses and startups that I've been talking to. And, and it's wild because I spend maybe 70, 80% of my week working with companies who are in the fortune 500. Mm-hmm. I spend a smaller chunk of my time working with startups and small businesses. Um, the start at the startup level, at the small business level, resources are tight. So it's mm-hmm. not necessarily that 
people have the ability to say, oh, I'm going to pay you for a day to go do whatever community exactly. service project That's you want. Right. Um, but what it's more likely to be is that I'll talk to a lot of startups lately that say, we want to do good by bringing jobs into a specific neighborhood. Yeah. Um, I think one reason at American Apparel, I think that, mm-hmm. uh, I believe Dov Charney was the guy's name that started that. And I, and he was a notoriously poorly behaving individual. I mean, <laughs> I think he fancied himself as some manner of modern Hugh Hefner. He would have these really outrageous parties and re- get in trouble all the time. I think his yeah. board actually just kicked him out. Like the last straw was some behavior that he had had. And they were like, no, we're done with yeah. you. But the reason I think people tolerated that was that he had converted some old factories in East LA Mm -hmm. into manufacturing outfits. And I think a lot of folks out there were very hesitant to do anything to anger him because he was actually one of the few employers that was bringing jobs, like real manufacturing jobs Mm -hmm. into a neighborhood that needed them. Mm -hmm. So, so you mitigate and say, we're doing social good by reviving a neighborhood That's right. or providing That's right. employment in our city versus just going to wherever the real estate is the cheapest mm-hmm. or wherever the, the talent is the cheapest. I think the other question is, what's the longevity of impact? Mm-hmm. We, you know, the, the every year you want to paint under the bridge and the graffiti artists are waiting for you <laughs> to come and be, put some new white paint up so they can say, yeah, it's, yeah. I've been waiting for this. New. Exactly. So, just, it's customer yeah, service yeah, for the graffiti yeah, artists. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's one thing. Um, and, and, and it's interesting because I, I was speaking with a friend of mine down in uh, D.C. I actually I was in, talking in person. And the nonprofit community, even when you offer when you offered it to even engage free there is not a clear consensus on what they want done. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it came down to revenue development. And she said she had an idea. I said, cool, cool, cool. And I, and I said, well, I said, look, we'll offer our services. I said, it's good PR work, but you're also helping me develop, you know, what I'm doing. And I said, but I would love to, I really want to engage you and see how this plays out. And she's working on a diversity initiative for uh, an environmental agency there. And then she says to me, well, you know, I got to really understand what you're bringing to the table. And I said, God, I didn't know what to say. Because when we talk about, you know, service to the community, the community stakeholders do not understand what they want done, too. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I think also it comes off of very, as very PR. Well, I think that's the thing where there's a little bit of a burnout. There's Mm -hmm. a backlash in some cases where it used to be that you could just write a nice check to a big organization and that would get you on the news. And then that evolved into things like the Jerry Lewis <laughs> Telethon, which was pretty much a parade of corporate sponsors giving yeah. Jerry these big checks. And I think over the last like 30, 40 years, we've become desensitized to that. What is there is, which is there should be a uh, backlash against the nonprofit community for how they're spending their money. The nonprofit community has amassed lots of capital. So no longer is given a check, you know, the, the, the thing to do. Now what, what's going on is let us see 
how the money's hitting. So, yeah. and so I think that's what's going on now also. And you have, especially in a city like Philadelphia, where you've got some very large nonprofit organizations mm-hmm. that have big endowments, uh, it calls into question the, you know, what, what does it mean to be a nonprofit? That's does right. it mean that you are just a different kind of business with a different kind of tax status. I think some nonprofit folks operate as if that's, that's kind of the case. Yeah. Um, you know, we hear often picking on some of the big folks in town. Uh, when I worked at the university of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, Penn, some of the other large schools in Philadelphia have a large real estate footprint. Yeah. And so to that extent, you have folks that would look at that and say, wow, you know, our expectation is that you're going to deliver more yeah. value back to the community to yeah. than the tax revenue that your real estate would generate. Yeah. Since for some reason we still operate on this idea of generating tax revenue off the land, mm-hmm. like it's like 1286 or something. <laughs> like we still live in <laughs> feudal England. Wow. Because yeah, that's where that, all that comes that's from, right? Good point. <laughs> and, and we're kind of in this like modern technology yeah. mode where where we create value. You know, a lot from of us create value just output. out of existence. Yeah. So, you know, we create value for each other. Mm-hmm. We find ways to do that, but it's not necessarily tied to the square footage yeah. that we do that on. Yeah. So if you're a big institution, great point. There's a lot of pressure for you to say, well, yeah, I you know I run an organization that has. You know, we don't pay taxes. We would have paid X dollars in taxes. Mm -hmm. So we have to report out, you know, how we're delivering value to our community. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. to to that extent, I think you're right. A lot of nonprofit organizations are very challenged with figuring out how to communicate their value outside their immediate set of stakeholders. mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then the flip side is you have for profit business owners trying to wrestle with, okay, on one hand, you want to do business with nonprofits, there's a very specific set of challenges and hurdles you have to overcome. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to be certified yeah. by, you know, state or county or city Their organization, other nonprofits, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, boards, all kinds yeah. of folks that you have going yeah. on. Right. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, you've got, you know, when you want to do your charitable initiative, mm-hmm. you have to think about. Can I make a bigger impact on my community if I deliver in-kind services versus whether I just write a check and sponsor an event or sponsor something that wouldn't exist if I didn't cut a check for it? So these are all things that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have to wrestle with because we do. I think many of us that run companies have this sense of obligation. Yeah. Right. We all come from somewhere and we all come from, you know, a place where we feel like. How do I sure. how do I give back? How do I give back? Mm-hmm. The how do I honor the folks that lifted I, me up? That's right. Right. That's right. But how do I do it in a way that doesn't seem like I'm just trying to be opportunistic or just like get my name in the paper for it? Yeah. Right. And and, and how is it? It's not draining. Exactly. Yeah. So there is a, a, a consultant, a chairman and CEO of the advisory board company by the name of Robert Musselwhite, mm-hmm. wrote something uh, recently that I thought was pretty compelling. And it's something that I think that I've been doing unconsciously for a little while now, but I love the way that he framed it up. And we'll put a link to this in the show notes at offsite.com slash podcast. Uh, so this is his idea. Right. You turn your community investment initiatives into talent development. 
Okay. Hmm. So you think about the products and services that you deliver and your challenge, as we talked about last week, is to build a bench of talent that can deliver that stuff in your stead when you have escalated your role as an entrepreneur, um, you still need people to deliver the stuff that you're doing today. Right. Okay. So his (laughs) hypothesis is instead of just saying, here's eight hours a year to, you know, go rake the leaves in the community park or whatever, Mm -hmm. you, you go to somebody on your team and you say, what's the next job that you want to do in our organization? What's the Mm -hmm. step up for you? What's the stretch goal? And you say, great, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to assign you those tasks on an in-kind project that we're going to do for a nonprofit organization. Nice. They're not paying us to do it. You're going to do what the person in that job would do as if it was a client. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. If, if you don't meet your goals, we're not risking a client relationship. Nice. If you don't meet your goals, well, that nonprofit is not paying for it. So, you know, we want to give them good products good. and services. I, I like that. I like right? this. But the but the win-win, if it works, if, yeah. you know, the bet that you're making here is that if this person that you're developing really steps up and does well on this project, you have essentially trained them on mm-hmm. the job to do the next paid project that's coming up. Wow. Interesting. So you can now, fold and, and that work. Will they still uh, receive their pay? Well, in his model, yes. Or okay. at least some portion some of it. Some portion of So the, the idea would be that you can work out in They'll your- They'll get their base, but not the additional pay. Yeah. That, so that's incremental for that, for the new title. Exactly. Okay. So, so let's say- <clears throat> In um, in your uh, in your line of work, mm-hmm. let's say that there were some really specific accounting tasks that a nonprofit needed for just 10 hours worth of work. Mm-hmm. And you had somebody that was a junior person on your team, hadn't yet done stuff at that level. And you say, OK, great, I'm going to pay you for 10 hours and you're going to run that project for 10 hours. I'm covering your expenses. You have to deliver a great result. This is the trial run. It's going to let me see if I can start turning you loose on bigger projects. Interesting. This works on agency side as well. Like I could take one of my junior designers mm-hmm. and say to them, nice. I'm going to turn you loose. I'm going to cover your costs so that, you know, the idea here, what you're, you know, the company is donating your time. You're not donating your time. So that way you can get up to 100% participation because it's now part of your job. Yeah. I've just assigned you this thing. Yeah. But if For the entrepreneurs, this is a way to get nice labor. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then to yeah. that extent, it's basically I'm saying to my talent bench, I want to see you actually do the tasks, the roles, make the deliverables. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of this process, you're going to have a portfolio piece. Yeah. So when it's time for me to decide who I'm going to promote to the next level, you should be the front runner because you've now just distributed. You've just now demonstrated to me that you can do that work. Yeah. So so that I thought was a kind of really neat way to take the risk out of some of the talent development. Mm-hmm. And then you're not lying awake at night thinking, oh, I've just made have I promoted this person too soon? Have yeah. I committed to too much? You can kind of say, all right, I'm going to find a nonprofit that I want to do some stuff with. We're going to create some kind of project with a limited scope. Yeah, I'm going to cover those costs. And in, in an organization where let's say that you charge you know, 5X for a certain service. Mm -hmm. 
And you're taking a person that on the projects they're on now, you're billing one X, mm-hmm. you know, you are still, it's as if your in-kind donation is technically five X right. because right. that's what you would charge that's if they right. came in at retail exactly. costs. That's right. But your internal cost is only one X. Exactly. So you're delivering five X worth of value. So, I mean, it's a pretty attractive nice. equation yeah. when yeah. you do it that way. And it's a nice way that you can say to your talent, um, I want you to do some work for your community, but I'm not going to ask you to do things that you don't enjoy doing or feel like forced labor or intensive <laughs> yeah. stuff. Like I'm going to yeah. value your time. Yeah. And then I'm going to actually make it part of your professional development. It may come down to also, you know, do the employees have time to do the work? Mm-hmm. Because I think also there's a trade off that you're moving talent to uh, service the community and you're losing value. Uh, you're letting value and, and, a company, you know, uh, uh, do community service work. Yeah. And, 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 and there, there are a gaps going to, and, and that's the thing. Create. I think if you time it right, you mm-hmm. can stage it in such a way that you're, uh, taking that short term hit mm-hmm. with the goal that you're creating a new resource good, that's going to bring significantly more value in. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if I take a junior level person, and I assign them to senior level stuff. Yeah. At the end of that project, I should now have another senior level person. That's right. And then we re- we loop back around, and instead of having to go through the process of recruiting another HR senior level person from else. outside, I could you know because theoretically in most organizations, much easier to recruit junior level people mm-hmm. than senior level people. Mm-hmm. If I want to find a senior level person, I kind of have to either steal someone else's senior level person yep or i have to look at somebody else's junior level person that i think i can elevate yeah or i promote from within Mm -hmm. so this is a good way for me to assure myself before i promote from within that someone can actually deliver the goods nice so it's a good trial run so i thought i found that pretty fascinating because it was a good way to actually have both worlds you put, you can position and you get to put out the press release and say, you know, here's what we did with our partnership with this community organization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And you get all the benefits of being able to do that. You get the good feel good benefits of saying I've given back to my community. But then from the justify this in your bottom line, yeah. you can say, you know what, I could spend X amount of dollars sent, you know, sending this person to a, a two week training camp to learn this thing. Or I can basically say, you know, I trust that you have this mm-hmm. and I trust that you have the skills. So go for it on this project. Yeah. The worst that happens is you screw it up and we end up redoing it for them. But then I know like, you need to be in your current role for a little yeah, bit longer. A little, exactly. Good but point. if you do great, like this is a high profile thing. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it. Other people are looking at it. Yeah. This could actually make your bones in an That's organization. Right. That's right. right. That's right. So um, coming back to the idea of what does it actually mean to make an impact in your community? Uh, I think the other thing that I'm seeing a lot lately is the idea that you have um the positive version of what we would call environmental runoff. And this comes from a thread of conversations from mostly industrial companies where for years they would say, okay, we make widgets. And every time we make a hundred gross of widgets, Mm -hmm. like a gallon of toxic waste goes into the river Mm -hmm. and we have to mitigate that. Right. So 
if you take that same idea and you think about, okay, well, we create waste in any kind of business, right? Mm -hmm. What if you took a different approach to that and thought, we have folks that are doing stuff inside our organization. And instead of creating mental waste, Mm -hmm. we give folks outlets where they can take things that would be maybe not fully aligned with their role, but things Mm -hmm. they want to work on. And we just give them outlets. So I heard about something that Ford has been doing uh, and they've partnered with a little studio called Tech Shop. Mm -hmm. This is a place Mm -hmm. in Detroit. It's an open lab. It's kind of like a co-working space for inventors. They have 3D printers. They have all kinds of gear that you can just build all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And so what Ford did was they had a lot of folks that would, work at Ford and noodle around with ideas, not really have outlets for those. Nice. Okay. And so some of those people would just sit in those jobs, get frustrated and kind of fail out. Some of those folks would actually take whatever ideas they're noodling on. They'd leave Ford and go invent some things. Yeah. So this partnership with Ford said, we're going to give you an outlet. If you want to go noodle with stuff, do it on our dime at this facility, play with the stuff, print your prototypes. And if something comes out of it, we'll support your patent. That's nice. So you get it patented. It's within Ford. You don't have to go look for a new job or launch a but new see, company a or whatever. Because yeah. it, it's, 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 it's an excellent model. And, and you're not taking people away from what they want to do. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing where recognizing that you know, there is a career path for you to be a quote unquote inventor, mm-hmm, but it's mm-hmm. really up and down. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the engineers at Ford weren't really expressing a desire to leave Ford. And according to this uh, report, and we'll link to it in the show notes, um, they found that in just two years, this partnership increased the number of patents among Ford engineers by 50 percent. Wow. And it made Ford a much more desirable place for engineers to want to come work because their currency was, you know, how many patents do people get in in a place where they work? And, mm-hmm. you know, how patents work is that an entire team can work on something. You get your name on it. Yeah. In some cases, you can get royalties on nice. that. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of benefits, but mostly you just look at the bragging rights. Yeah. The idea is that Ford's doing this and they're calling this out in such a way that, yeah, we're bringing innovation back to Detroit. Mm -hmm. Innovations, inventions are happening here. They're not necessarily always related to the stuff that those people work specifically on. That's right. But we're giving our people an outlet. And then now from the talent side, you're able to say, hey, if you are creative and you want both the, the focus of knowing that you've got a steady job, but you want the ability that when you have a great idea, you want the ability to go and and play with that. We'll support that. And we have a program for it. Interesting. My brain says, you know, this sounds good for nonprofits. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. So the idea here, so think for instance, some of the nonprofits you work with, Mm -hmm. like what are some similar models like that? where you would want to see nonprofits partner up with large organizations? What kinds of like runoff would nonprofits really benefit from? What I would like to see, uh, you know, since, as you know, a majority of my clients are charter schools, definitely along the lines of curriculum development. Mm. And, you know, so oftentimes, you know, books are printed, you know, takes a period of time. 
you know, standard testing may change, legislation, blah, blah, blah. What happened there is a partnership between, you know, uh, the person, you know, somebody who's, you know, I, I'm a teacher, but I love technology. And I like to find a way to uh, get my thoughts on paper, publish it, and get it back in the classroom to test to see if it works mm. or if my ideas are correct. And that's that's the type of engagement I would like to see happen. That's an interesting thing because we we talk about engagement with schools, mm-hmm. and in many schools, it's kind of limited to career day. Yeah, you know, what does mommy do? What does daddy that's do? That's right. That's right. And, that's right. And so, what I hear you saying is that there are opportunities for organizations to go into charter schools, especially because it Mm -hmm. seems like they're, you know, they each have their own notions, ideas about how they're going to approach learning. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So there may be less risk, not that this doesn't happen at traditional schools, but it seems like there might be less resistance at charter schools. And the reason why there were probably, there is uh, less resistance is because there majority of time, the charter schools are lacking in a human capital that we, that, the city can fund the mm-hmm. gov- or or for profits or private companies have working for them. So if you present an idea to them and 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 it's going to help them with their AYP, mm-hmm. and AYP is their annual annual yearly progress report. Okay. If I'm saying that correctly. I'm pretty sure Michael say no, that wasn't. But <laughs> it's you know incrementally you're looking for grade averages to increase mm-hmm. over the years to meet government standards, sure. testing standards. They're going to say you know cool. See, and, 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 and I forgot, you, you, I'm pretty sure you may know the author of Managing Towards Results. I forgot the author of this book. But in a nonprofit world, they ha- it, it's, it's incumbent for them to seek uh, relationships outside that help develop their human capital, people working for them. But to also, what is the best practice mm. right now? And for the life of me, I, I don't understand why no one has said, you know what? We need instant curriculum mm. because it's, it's, it's measurable fast, fast. What works? This, this, this works. Okay. Boom. That's- well, I think the other thing that I observe just hearing you talk mm-hmm. about that, there is that distinction between what the state and the federal government are mandating and what we're testing to. Yeah. You know, we're, or often uh, schools get accused of teaching to the test. And this is where no child left behind. <laughs> my, I mean, my background coming up through the entertainment mm-hmm. business. I'm still active in the recording academy. A, a big part of the advocacy for the recording academy for the last year or two, which made me really proud to stay in the recording academy. Mm-hmm. They they kind of came off of the let's fight all the torrents, and they got off of that and came back to yeah. let's actually bring music back to schools. Right? Yeah. Let's bring yeah, creativity great. back to schools. That's right. That's right. Um, every advocacy meeting that I go to there is like, what can we do to bring music education back? Because what we hear in every state is, well, there's no standardized test for music. So that's the first thing that gets cut because what I can test is your math. What I can test is some writing. Um, What I can test is some history, Mm -hmm. right? But music, eh, no, cut that. Yeah. Theater education cut that. Yeah. So the thing that we end up celebrating a lot of the time are schools that teach kids 
really specific ways to be creative mm-hmm. or to learn mm-hmm. trades or to, yeah. you know, we talk about giving back to the community. One big thing is hmm. if you have a school that's capable of graduating students who can go out and land meaningful, amazing jobs, yeah, you know, yeah. within a year or two after graduation, um, or get on a college track yeah. where we've created talent, yeah. right? We've taken that raw talent and refined mm-hmm. it. And we've, we've given those folks, not just raw skills, but the ability mm-hmm. to think critically and process. Yeah. Right. So I think you bring up a really interesting thing because the partnership there mm-hmm. from an, uh, a corporation or a small business or a startup is to, you know, you can be wily about it and think, well, yeah, if I go into a classroom now, mm-hmm. these could be, these kids now could be people that I want to hire yeah. in five or six years. Yeah. So how do I set them on that path where they're learning the skills that are going to be useful to my business, mm-hmm. but also maybe I'm generating some loyalty so that yeah. they come back to us and not, you know, they don't just bust out to some other and, and city or somewhere. They, in, in, in those settings, the children, the young people, they, they're, they're willing to take the risk. They, they, they haven't adapted to conformity. Yeah. Yet. And they're like, yeah, let's see if we put this bomb with this. How is this going to play out? Yeah. They have no problem. Well, I lost a finger. That didn't work out. <laughs> but, but, but they're, they're, they're radical yeah. in, 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 in how they're processing. And, uh, you know, I mean, I get some friends out of this, but at times education, our education can put you to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and, and so when we talk about these partnerships, uh, I, I think it's, it's an excellent opportunity, you know, for, for business owners to engage. Yeah. For me, it's always, it's, it's, I'm learning to try, try to define what my engagement looks like. Mm-hmm. That's because there was periods where I gave money, I gave money, but what metrics? <laughs> Give me a report. Let me, you know, but it's ambiguous expectations, I guess. I think know. I think you're right. I think there was a report that came out recently from the William Penn Foundation mm-hmm. uh, here in Philadelphia. They're a major organization. They've been uh, around for pretty much 100 years or so. Yeah. There's some old Philadelphia money that went to start that up. Yeah. And they're now at this inflection point where, you know, these big old foundations have endowments, but when there's a recession, when the stock market doesn't do so well, that endowment shrinks instead of grows. And yeah. they start thinking very critically about where they're sending their money. Yeah. And they sent out this report not long ago, really criticizing the state of nonprofit organizations in Philadelphia, saying mm-hmm. that sometimes organizations don't know when to quit, when to give it up, because mm-hmm. you've got some that are really held together institutionally mm-hmm. because they have a an institution that exists around all the infrastructure exactly. that and all the people that work there that are there to deliver a service or a mission and the grants when they go to just serving that infrastructure the donors are feeling like mm, it's it's not really moving the mission forward that's right no one wants to give money to a nonprofit and think that all they bought was somebody's copier toner for a year they want to feel like it actually made a difference you know i you know so in in conversing with one one of my clients uh last week 
I said, you know, some of the problems that, that may exist with the nonprofit is, you know what? I'm a builder here. They have, you know, I'm gonna put this building here. I'm gonna educate. I'm gonna put some teachers in it. They can't go anywhere else. You ha- you're forced to go here. And so when we think of this, th- some of the pattern thinking with these long term uh, foundations or uh, legacy foundations that's been around three two hundred years, that's it takes a lot of work on my part convincing them this is not this is not that time yeah because absolutely. people will people will start public putting getting yeah. news cameras outside and yeah. and i think that's the thing where we're we're much more critical now especially when it comes to education and mm-hmm. thinking well who's Whose issue is this? Whose problem is it to solve? Yeah. When I, you know, I think back to when I had high school civics class Mm -hmm. and the rationale at the time was everybody, even if you don't, even if you don't have kids or I came up through Catholic school, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was in public school for a little while when I was little and I went to a Catholic high school. And so one of the questions I would ask, you know, getting involved in my parents' business when I was 13, 14, 15 Mm -hmm. was wait, if my parents pay tuition, why do they also have to pay an education tax? Yeah. You know, why don't they get exempted from that? I mean, this is before we started talking about things like vouchers and things like that. And, and what my Catholic high school teacher told me was it is good citizenship Mm -hmm. for you to invest in a communal education system, even if you don't partake in it, because these are the people that are going to be serving you in whatever Mm -hmm. businesses they work in. These are people you're going to hire. It it, it builds community equity. And that's the thing. I think I fear that in some cases we've lost a little bit of that sense Mm -hmm. when we get into arguments of, there is a $95 million shortfall in the school district this year. Who's going to come up with it? And someone will say, well, we need to tax a big corporation to do yeah, that. Yeah. And the corporation rightly says, why is this my problem all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah. And then we say, all right, well, then we'll tax property owners. And yeah. property owners are saying, well, we've already been carrying this yeah, burden. Yeah. So like, this is the thing of like, well, we, we don't have an easy answer to this. But yeah. one thing, it sounds like that if you're an entrepreneur, you can build into your mission and say, okay, let me cultivate the next generation of talent by figuring out how I translate my skills, my team's skills into some kind of curriculum, into some kind of experience yeah. that maybe in the short term enriches the lives of kids in these schools. But long term, maybe, you know, I impact somebody that comes out of this program and mm-hmm. maybe goes into our profession or comes into my practice as an intern or a new hire. So remember, Joe, you know, as, as you're sitting here, my brain said, remember, Joe, there used to be scalability in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Remember, th- you know, that went on for many years. It was no such. OK, I mean, sure, there was always that you can go somewhere, stay there for life. But there still was a thing where I work at the corner store. From the corner store, uh, I got a job at Joe's. At Joe's, I could have went from the account. I could work for the accounting department as an intern. There was always, I don't know if we have that anymore because now there is, see, I don't want to say people will love to say technology is eroding or has eroded the job market. I don't believe that. 
what I believe is people, the, the, the education has to uh, bring together more collaborative relationships between the for-profit or external, you know, relationships. I think that's what's going on because as I'm listening, I'm saying, well, you know, is, is, is what's going on? And, and, and even, and I, I kid you, and we're still back at the, you know, for me at the question of, is it worth the time? Hmm. I think to a degree, based on what we talked about last week around mm-hmm. hiring and competencies, one of the things that strikes me as you say that is no child left behind focuses on teaching a specific set of skills. Yeah. Okay. Um, but what we seem to lack or what I, what I don't see coming out of that common sense <laughs> is we lack the ability because we lack the ability to measure how we're developing competencies, we don't teach those. And so this is where, when we talk about last week, and say good, good it's point. tough to hire because good good we point. we have people that are good at math, mm-hmm. but don't have that drive or don't have that mm-hmm. entrepreneurial spirit, right? Because that was not drilled into them in school. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, they weren't exposed to it at all. But remember, everyone wasn't expected to be an entrepreneur. Well, that's the thing. Or, so, or we would say, there's Joe, there's Darnell, they're about to go sell something right now. And people say, let's put this, let's mold them. Yeah. And to that end, one of the things that we can think about if we're, if we're now calling for fellow entrepreneurs to get involved in education, Mm -hmm. which this has turned into a manifesto at this point. (laughs) So one of the things that we can do is think, all right, what do we want our community to be made of in 10, 20, 30 years? What do we want that legacy to be? But I got to tell you, Joe. Okay. So. I I did a presentation and I had to go to Porter's, the five competitive forces. But I brought that up in this presentation to the board and getting them to understand this is what human capital is going to look like. Mm -hmm. This is what it needs to look like. But the problem is the close relationships between education and higher education, elementary, secondary, they're so biased. Mm. And that's where I see the problem because here we're coming in saying none of this makes any sense, <laughs> and they're looking at us. Oh, well, you know, we're we're high. We're, you know, we, we know what we're talking about, dude. Have you seen the numbers? Th- they're coming out, and they they don't know what's you know what, what to yeah. do next. So, and I think I almost got them. I think I have them there, but that's that's the because it is as though keeping the status quo of how we're. Administering education is more important than building human capital that understands how to make uh, adjust and, yep. and, and adaptation. You got so I'm excited sorry, that you just like absorbed your whole microphone. <laughs> so, <I'm> sorry, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Christopher, who edits this, is going to have a great time with that. The uh, so, but what I what I really hear you saying is that, like any organization, right? Mm-hmm. We build organizations, and self preservation is. Uh, uh, essential to pretty much Goal any organization. Concern, right? It's never the board of education's problem. Yeah. So one of the things that 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 I think has gotten people really riled up about charter schools is that some of these charters ride into town like they're the new sheriff, and they're basically saying we're going to completely upend 
how we educate kids. We're going to create, you know, whatever their mission is. We're going to create entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs. We're going to create kids like culinary school. Like we're going to just teach high school kids. Like this is, I mean, think about how weird career paths are. I mean, you brought this up a moment ago. Mm -hmm. It used to be when you were like 12 and 13, you could start to chart out something like a career path. Like I'm going to start working in this corner store. That's going to move me to here. That's going to move me to there. Corner store experience. I can, I can use that to college. Yeah. School, college school. Now yeah. how we model things to young people is very often I'm 15. I'm going to go on a reality show <laughs> and I'll be famous and rich. And, and that's one way we model it. But I think there's this other path. And I get this when I'm talking to my nieces mm. um, that to some degree, you know, I, I encourage them lately to think about what are the things that you enjoy doing that no one else wants to do that, that, Interesting. that you know, go learn how to repair an air conditioner because that person gets paid more than me to do things that I don't want to do. That's right. And so if you can find that thing. But it comes with, but you know what's, what, what it comes with is it doesn't give me the good feeling. And that's the thing. Like you have to find yeah. a way to pull all yeah. that stuff together. Yeah. It may be that you don't was necessarily. That our, was that really our thoughts when we were young? Uh, what? The, I don't think we had. We, the, the good feeling component was never. I don't think that even entered my mind until yeah. I was in my 20s. I think for me, it was like I had narrowed down to kind of a list of things that I was, that I was competent at. Yeah. And then I started to have aspirations as a teenager around, well, here's, you know, here's things that I want to do. And then, and then when you get into your twenties, you start to realize the things that you aspire to do aren't necessarily things that make you money. Yeah. And then if you can be a really well-rounded individual, you can figure out how to do something that makes money for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you still get to do that other thing. A lot of the musicians I coach are in the same uh, situation where they make very little money from making music, Music. but they've found other occupations that like pay the bills. And so they get to do both and they live these kind of round lives. And then the one thing, the folks that actually break through and become independent artists mm-hmm. are the folks that have taken from their commercial work life, mm-hmm. all those competencies and skills that they can apply back and figure out, okay, well, here's how I figure out how to make music, make money yeah, and not quote unquote, sell out, yeah. not feel, yeah. not feel like I've just sold out my artistic integrity. Exactly. Yeah. But that's a very, I'm like maybe 1% of anybody that wants to go into a creative career yeah. achieves that because it's really hard and there's a lot of competition. Yeah. So to that extent, what you want to do is for your community, if you're thinking about education, mm-hmm. you hedge your bets, right? Yeah. So you want to be, you want to, and I think this is a, the, the criticism I hear about the education system, mm-hmm. right? Because it, it, there's an inherent bias towards getting more educated. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. Yeah. when you talk to, when you're say a junior in high school and mm-hmm. you're thinking about colleges, how many folks I've talked to who are 14, 15, 16 that say, oh, well, I'm just going to go to school and I'm going to get a degree in education or I'm going to get a degree in literature. I'm going to get, well, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. Because I think I read a statistic somewhere that, 
there are only enough jobs in higher education to support something like one half of 1% of the students that go down that path. Wow. And on the flip side, we talk about careers in STEM, you know, science, yeah, technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we lack the native talent yeah. to the point where I think that the proposal now is that we start doing something like 70,000 a year of the H-1B visa where mm-hmm. we're inviting folks in from other countries. Yeah. Who yeah. have that. Yeah. Which is really frustrating because yeah. we've kind of sold the wrong career path yeah. to, to young people. Yeah. So I think to some degree, the you know, it's encompassed on us. If if we move out of the role of just entrepreneur and into the role of community leader, yeah. you know, what are the things that we should be advocating for young people? And then how do we back that up by then telling our teams? you know what, here's a project I want you all to work on. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to force you, but like, I'm passionate about getting what we do into the school. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? Yeah. Who can, who wants to help? And that's a much different piece of the equation than saying, let's all go rake leaves on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, so that, you know, in a nutshell is that, that big challenge facing us around corporate social responsibility. I substituted and, 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 you know, and, and I didn't get paid, <laughs> but I was teaching the children about the impact of Walmart, not knocking Walmart, but it, it, there is an economic impact to local businesses mm-hmm. and the children, they were, they were so engaged and many of them walked and said, oh no, you know, I'm going to have my own <laughs> store <laughs> to combat yeah. because why the community needs these things. Yeah. In, in, in our charitable uh, endeavors, the children, they desire, they, they're hungry for this. We have to present a model that does not talk down to them, engages them, and giving them the ability to express from their view, from their location, this is how we look at it. Yeah. And quite possibly step back and fund it. Well, and let me see how this turns out. It's interesting you say that because there's been some research done into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a group called the Amani Institute. They're a startup education program. They do a lot of work in places like Nairobi, Kenya. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that they studied was why well-meaning organizations can go oh. into <laughs> communities and fail, right? Yeah. And so here's um, one of the things that the leadership team put out in their report. And it says, you know, products and services for the poor must not only satisfy a material need, but also an emotional or psychological mm-hmm. one. For instance, no matter how good the design, if it symbolizes material deprivation That's right. as opposed to their aspiration, That's right. they won't use it. That's right. So, I mean, whether you define a community as poor or struggling That's or right. under underfunded in That's some right. way, um, I think it calls out that idea of... Uh, you know, we would might call it authenticity, but mm-hmm. the idea that if you're just trying to roll into a community and and your mindset is I want to do some but something for somebody that's underprivileged, yeah. if that's overt in your thinking, your <laughs> audience has tuned out. Yeah, yeah. Like they're just gonna yeah. think like, well, screw you, buddy. Yeah. Like I don't need you to come in here and tell me what's good. Yeah. But if you come in, I think with that with a really strong idea of your mission and what you want to accomplish and how 
folks are going to benefit and you mm-hmm. make it something that's really attractive mm-hmm. to everybody. Yeah. But you just deliver it in a community that needs help the most. Yeah. Like that's that way to actually deliver that service in a way that's not, you don't want it to be, cause it can come off so condescending yeah, if you it do does. it wrong. <laughs> like, like, Oh, yeah. well here come all the rich people. Yeah. The state of poor people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, and that's the thing, like no one wants to be talked down to. Nobody well, wants to be condescended we, to. Well, we have, we have an environment in our, in our, from, from being in the West, it doesn't mean it's among everyone that no one wants to be, if you're poor, God, my child, something's going to happen. Yeah. And so even me, you know, when I, when I'm engaging clients, I am very cognitive that I don't want to come in as the savior. Mm-hmm. What I strive to express to them that here's what I see that's the market threats. Here's what you're doing. We're going to have to adjust to these market threats or we're going to be closed. And I, you know, and I, one of, one of my presentations, I said, school reform commission is in the business of closures and consolidations, mergers, acquisitions. That's here's the threats. How do we adjust? And I was, and I had, and I believe I was very tactful with not coming in. Y'all better do this because I didn't want to turn them off. Who is this guy? He's, he's come off those and, 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 and there, you know, now mind you, it wasn't charity, <laughs> but you know, you, you have to be sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we had a great wide ranging conversation yeah. today <laughs> that kicked off with the idea of how to actually do impact in, in your community. Yeah. We'll, we'll revisit this theme, but for next week, we're going to talk more about overcoming challenges and overcoming failures. And mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about this last week, that fear of failure. We'll kind of merge that with the conversation from this week around um, how you overcome some of those challenges and limitations, especially earlier in your career. So you can actually grow into entrepreneurship and build a company that has the capacity to yeah. improve the community. Yeah. So until next week, I'm Joe Taylor Jr. Darnell Suleiman. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions stated represent those of the speakers and not those of their employers, the producers, 2820 Press, or any program sponsors. This podcast does not constitute legal, business, or financial advice, nor should you take any action on anything you hear during this podcast without consulting a competent advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or blog. This has been a 2820 Radio Production.